0: Good evening comrades, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. Uh, Not to say that I'm ever not excited about doing an episode, but I find myself substantially more excited about doing this one. Because as always, I have extreme favoritism and bias towards one group that is involved in this conflict in history that's quite famous, I'm sure you've heard of it or seen the shitty movie. And that is the story and saga as chronicled by the ever-unreliable Homer of the Trojan War and the Trojan campaigns. Before we get into that, thank you all very much for tuning back in. This will be another uh, serious ad-free listening experience. Thank you all, consistent listeners, for continuing to check back in and for doing everything that you do. The kind reviews on iTunes, donating to Patreon, I genuinely appreciate it. It really helps stroke my fucking massive ego and gets me back on here recording and keeping it going. So thank you very much. I do appreciate it. And to all new listeners, if you're tuning in for the first time, please don't play this in front of your children. Please don't play this at work if you have a sensitive and emotionally friendly working environment. Uh, I don't have sponsors because I'm a PR nightmare. I say whatever I want. I swear a lot. Talk about fucking a lot. Make drug jokes. Not safe for kids. Not safe for work. I have been... I'm Not gonna say scrutinized, but I've been constructively criticized that I should warn people um, about how foul it can get beforehand. So this is your warning. That applies for every episode. Just because it doesn't have a doesn't have ex- explicit profanity in the title, does not mean that it's not going to be explicit and full of profanity. Not safe for work. You've been warned. So I'm going to try to present this your uh, saga as unbiased as I possibly can, which is a uh, I'm going to struggle with it. It's kind of going to be like the, uh, oh man, I don't remember which one it was. Either the Minotaur or Malta, or actually both of those just ended up turning into a fucking hate rant. But I will not let myself get into that this time. That is my line in the sand as of right now. I will not turn this into hateful propaganda against the Turks. I will try my best not to. And uh, seeing as the Greeks won this fight anyway, I don't really need to. So maybe you guys have heard the saying, beware of Greeks bearing gifts, or um, I think that's really the only one that spawned from this conflict, but very famous saying came from the Trojan Wars. You really will not realize how much of your day-to-day shit has been affected by this um, until I get into it in graphic detail, which I intend to do because it's a Greek story and I'd be remiss not to. For example, ever use a cleaning product Ajax? strongest thing around Uh, if you haven't go fuck yourself but if you have which most of you have or seen it at least I'm sure you'll see why Ajax uh, came into play and where they got the name from that being said the story of the Trojan War was a bronze age conflict between the kingdoms of Troy and Mycenaean Greece which the Mycenaeans were the people that wiped out the people that were feeding Athenians to the Minotaur Uh, King Minos uh, from the island where, where my family's from they were pretty much all but eradicated by this ancient group of uh, Greeks, or what later became known as the Greeks. And this conflict straddles the history and mythology of ancient Greece and inspired some of the greatest writers from antiquity, uh, such as Homer, Herodotus, and Sophocles, to Virgil. And since the 19th century rediscovery of the site of Troy in what is now Western Turkey, archaeologists have since uncovered increasing evidence of a kingdom that peaked and may have been destroyed around... Uh, 1200 BC, let's say. Perhaps forming the basis for the tale recounted by Homer some 400 years later in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Well, Homer... Homer is... uh, Homer is a mixed bag, man. A lot of people hate Homer, a lot of people like Homer. I find him... comes off as he's full of shit, (laughs) but he has some good stories. Um, He's just... uh, not necessarily the most credible guy and we will get into that a little, little while later, but a lot of historians discredit everything that he says just because of his... Oh, man, I don't want to call it a make him up but it's called a guesstimation of numbers, and it seems like he wasn't very well-educated in how numbers work. Uh, for example, he is cited say saying that Achilles killed 10,000 people single-handedly in a day. Seems a bit much. I think physically, stabbing 10,000 people I don't think it's possible. I don't think you could do it. Like, stabbing him enough to kill him? It's unbelievable. I don't believe it. That would be just one example of his uh, <clears throat> lack of reliability or uh, uh, exaggeration when it comes to certain historical facts and elements of the battle. Uh, di- I have my own theory about Homer, and I'll get into that in a little bit in a couple minutes. But according to the classical sources of this war, it began after the abduction, or uh, eloping, as some said, of Queen Helen of Sparta, and she was taken by the Trojan prince Paris, who was in Sparta with his brother for peace talks with the king. Uh, Helen, Helen had a jilted husband in this situation that got very angry when he saw that his wife, who was considered his property by pretty much everyone in Sparta, including the king, his name was Menelaus, uh, and he was the brother of of the most powerful man in the world at the time, a dude named Agamemnon, who was the king of Mycenae. And he had a huge army, expansive navy, and a huge force that was at his disposal, just ready to invade wherever. This, this guy really was the first uh, unifier of Greece, because he conquered everyone. Huge army. Because instead of killing or enslaving all the soldiers from conquered lands, he just recruited them. a fucking genius. But his brother Agamemnon, seeing that his wife was stolen, he just begged his brother to lead an expedition with him to go and get her back. And this was a Spartan king. This was no, like, I'm not going to disparage anybody, but this was a tough guy, and he had access to an army of tough guys, and his brother was that much tougher. And they were joined by uh, heroes of Greek history, which may or may not have existed. I'm sure they may have existed, but it's kind of like... when you're telling stories about your buddies from high school, they get this huge reputation. Unless you're brutally honest about what happened in high school, and then that's no fun. That I'm giving you a bad example. Think back to... If your grandfather ever told you war stories compared to what you saw in Band of Brothers, not exactly the same thing. Uh, that's kind of how this was. It was like all of them were exaggerated, all of them were played up. As it is, you have to make something fucking positive come out of such a disgusting experience. It's a 10-year sacking of a city, but... Some of the famous people involved in this were named Achilles, Odysseus, Nestor, Ajax, for example. And they accompanied the fleet, and they were accompanied by more than a thousand ships from that fleet through all the the Hellenic world. So everyone donated ships, everyone donated armies, because they were called by the king. And if you didn't donate, you were fucked. And they all crossed the Aegean Sea to Asia Minor to go and lay siege to Troy and demand Helen's return by Priam who was the Trojan king and a notorious cunt. Uh, another expression that came from this this whole chindig was that Helen's face was the face that launched a thousand ships. Uh, because she was supposed to be really fucking hot. Uh, I've, seen the, I've seen the doodles of her on a vase here and there, but I wasn't particularly impressed, so I got the idea when I was researching this to, like, Seriously, look into what Helen of Troy actually might have looked like. I wish I had. It's like beauty is relative. Let's just leave it there. But Helen of Troy was uh, most likely not as depicted. <laughs> Didn't look the same way she was depicted to look in the movie Troy. Let's just say that. Uh, hmm. Anyway, did you know that some traditions portray Homer? as a blind poet because the name Homer kind of loosely sounds like a word that means blind in certain Greek dialects, but I heard this another way when I was doing my research. I have my own theory about Homer and I'm going to tell you what it is right now. Homer is a last name, plain and simple. That's, um, it's a Greek last name and it means singer. I don't know where they got blind from. When I was doing my research, I kept saying blind poet. I think that was a, like a spinoff in a play or something at one point, but Everything that I found, Homer is a, it's like a bard, is what it means. Uh, so in the Odyssey, it tells of a blind bard telling stories of the war, which some interpret as a cameo as the poem's author in the book, but Homer was a last, it was um, people's last names were given to them based on the either of their job, who they were a son of, something significant about him. Like, if your name was Johnson, son of John, pretty fucking simple. Like there's, you can, if you really break it down, you can. Figure out a lot about a person's family line by their last name, provided they haven't changed it. Uh, and Homer is literally like Homer, the poet, or Homer, the the lyricist. And it's a it's a long line. If you look back, Homer, which is why he's discredited by a lot of people. He was documenting all sorts of shit. Like within 500 years, so it doesn't really make much sense if one guy was just writing under the Homer banner like he's not going to live 500 years this isn't the bible there's actual facts here and um, he documented a lot of history that he would not have been around for but it would have been feasible if great-grandfather was at the Troy sacking and great-grandson was at the battle of Thermopylae that's a that still doesn't make much sense but great-great grandson does and um, why doesn't it makes perfect sense to me so they're just a family of historians um, but anyway, this Siege of Troy, which is punctuated by battles and skirmishes, including the storied deaths of the Trojan Prince Hector, who I think was probably the best fighter in the world, and the alleged god, nearly invincible Achilles, who I also really like, lasted more than ten years. Unlike the movie of Troy, which led you to believe that the sacking of the greatest city in the world lasted a course of two or three days. Quite some time. Ten years was... Probably not the longest they could have held out. Uh, And it lasted ten years until the morning that the Greek armies retreated from their camp under the instruction of King Odysseus of Ithaca, and they left behind a giant wooden horse outside the gates of Troy. And after much debate and unneeded warnings from Priam's daughter, Cassandra, the Trojans pulled the mysterious gift into the city, and when night fell, the horse's asshole opened up and a group of Greek warriors, led by Odysseus, climbed out and burned troy from within it was not their intention to burn troy and i'll get into that later too after the trojan defeat greek heroes slowly made their way home when they realized that they weren't going to be paid for the campaign odysseus however took 10 years to make the arduous and often interrupted journey home to ithaca uh, as was recounted in the odyssey helen whose two successive trojan husbands were killed during the war returned to sparta To reign with her first husband, Menelaus. And after his death, some sources say that she was exiled to the island uh, of Rhodes, where a vengeful war widow had her hanged. Just because she was a a, fucking... widow of someone that was killed in the Trojan campaigns because Helen and Paris could not keep it in their pants. Allegedly. Helen, the face that launched a thousand ships, her and her flat ass and unibrow and back hair, died on the island of Rhodes, where the Knights of Rhodes, and later the Knights of Hospital would be stationed, right before the Battle of Malta, it all ties together in a very gruesome way. And as I was saying, little is known about historical Homer. Historians date the completion of the Iliad to around about 750 BC based on the dialect and the Odyssey to 725, which, odd already. Both began with the oral tradition and were first transcribed Decades or centuries after the composition. I was told by somebody that was Greek that written language was developed to tell the story of the Odyssey and the Trojan Wars. Take it with a grain of salt, because I doubt it's true, but it's an interesting thought. And many of the most familiar episodes of the war, from the abduction of Helen, the abduction, wink, 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 uh, to the Trojan horse and the sacking of Troy come from the so-called epic cycle of narratives assembled in the 6th century BC from older stories, much like how they picked out the stuff that didn't sound as much like bullshit as the rest of it in the Bible. Put it all together, stashed the rest of it in a cave somewhere, hope nobody would find it. Except they didn't do that with this. They, they weren't hiding it. They just picked out the best parts, I guess, or the most interesting narrative parts. Or pertinent. In the first century BC, the Roman poet Virgil composed the *Aeneid*, the third great classical epic inspired by the Trojan War. I don't know how to pronounce that. I don't speak Roman. It follows a group of Trojans, led by the hero, who leave their destroyed city to travel to Carthage before founding the city of Rome. Virgil's aim was in part to give Rome's first imperial dynasty. I hate that word. An origin story as impressive as that of the Greeks. See, that this is the first time that Greece was massively ripped off by wannabe fucking thugs, man. Many portions of the Trojan epics are difficult to read historically. Much like the Bible, it's written in nonsensical gibberish, uh, because there wasn't language, like, really down pat, as far as written tradition goes, when it was documented. Several of the main characters... Oh yeah, and I forgot there's just this illiterate rambling about Greek gods and shit, which uh, has never really been my thing, admittedly, but a lot of people seem to enjoy it. So if you want to get your fill of fucking goose raping, you can listen to... or you can read this beginning portion of the uh, Odyssey and the Iliad where several of the main characters are direct offsprings of Greek gods, uh, as is seen with Helen. She was fathered by Zeus, who was disguised as a swan. Oh, not a goose, my mistake. As a swan, uh, and was going around raping people, especially her mother. And much of the action is guided or interfered with by various competing gods. You know, they gotta gotta sell it to the masses, gotta make it interesting. Uh, lengthy sieges, were recorded in the era but the strongest cities could only hold out for a few months and 10 years is fucking unbelievable and that's another reason why Homer gets shit on. But, major excavations at the site of Troy in 1870 under the direction of German archaeologist Heinrich Schleimann uh, revealed a small citadel mound in layers of debris that were 25 meters deep. And later studies have documented more than 46 building phases grouped into nine bands representing the site's inhabitants starting 3000 BC until its final abandonment in AD 1350, That is crazy. Recent excavations have shown an inhabited area that was ten times the size of the Citadel, making Troy a significant Bronze Age citadel. Uh There were certain layers of the excavations that dated to about 1180 BC and that revealed charred debris and scattered ce- skeletons, which if you have done any research on the Trojan campaigns, they did accidentally burn it down and it's also clear evidence of wartime destruction of the city that may have inspired portions of the story of the Trojan War. Uh, however, in Homer's day, 400 years later, its ruins would still be visible. So maybe it was like a loosely inspired by, or a, uh, a good old fashioned makeup, but based on historical fact. No one will ever really know for sure. Uh, and I don't necessarily hate on Homer as much as a lot of historians do. Not that I'm a historian, but, <laughs> excuse me, as an uneducated, illiterate nobody, I think there might be a little more credibility to Homer and his oral traditions, and his family passing along the story than they're giving him credit for. But most people don't share my belief that he was a bard. They just think that he was a fucking drunk or a liar or something. But if you look at the classical legends of the Trojan War, they were developing continuously throughout Greek and Latin literature as could be seen, as I said, in Homer's Iliad, which was one of the earliest literary evidences ever. It's the chief story to have already taken shape, and its individual themes were elaborated later, which is kind of uh, shady, but they were especially seen in Greek drama. This story influenced everything. Uh, For instance, this has nothing to do with literature, but have you ever seen or used Trojan condoms? Where do you think they got the name from? kind of a bad name if you think about it, that's uh, reliable for ten years, but the one time you need it to fucking work, it doesn't. And I would imagine it's in, in uh, reference to the walls of Troy, which were so fucking strong and so well-built, they'd never been penetrated. Until when, of course, they were penetrated and everyone died, but however, that is neither here nor there. So I'm going to do my best to do a brief, non-bullshit sum-up of the Trojan campaign, the Odyssey, and the Iliad, Uh, I have to include, unfortunately, some of the nonsense and rhetoric of the Greek gods, but I'm going to try to leave it out because it kills my history boner. So, with no more further ado, one of the most well-known tales ever narrated, most notably Homer's Iliad, is undoubtedly the greatest war in classical mythology, which I agree with. It was waged by a Greek alliance against the city of Troy, and the war originated over a quarrel between three goddesses, Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite, and it was all over a fucking golden apple thrown by the goddess of strife at the wedding of Peleus and Thetis. Peleus was the father of Achilles, and in my opinion, my humble opinion, also the inventor of the very first glory hole. So the genesis of the Trojan War goes back to the divine love contest and prophecy concerning the very, concerning the very foundations of the Olympian order. Namely, Decades before its commencement, both Zeus and Poseidon fell in love with a beautiful sea bitch, or like nymph, named Thetis. Just a sexy-ass water woman, I guess. Each of them wanted to make her his bride. But both backed away once they were told, whether by Themis or Prometheus, the dire consequences of such an action, for it was fated that the sea goddess should bear a princely son stronger than his father, who was a strong motherfucker and he would wield another weapon in his hand, and more powerful than the Thunderbolt or the Trident. So if she lay with Zeus, or one of his brothers. So as not to risk anything with Zeus, they decided to give Thetis and her hand in marriage to King Peleus, the most pious man living on the plains of Locus. But he was a warlord. That guy could fight. He could throw down. If you told him to skin that smoke wagon, he would. Now that the husband was determined... Zeus organized a grand feast in celebration of Peleus and Thetis and their marriage. Uh, Thetis reluctantly agreed to marry Peleus. She fucking hated him more, because he was a cunt. Uh, All the other gods were invited to this, except for the disagreeable and always terrible goddess of a party, and with the goddess of strife, Eris, uh, was annoyed that she got stopped at the door by Hermes. Before leaving the gathering, she threw a gift amongst the guests, and that was an apple of discord a golden apple upon which the words for the fairest had been inscribed, and before long, Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite started beating the fuck out of each other uh, about who should take the apple, and not being able to decide on his own, they demanded that Zeus settle the dispute. Zeus knew that any choice meant inciting the anger of at least two of the goddesses, so he wisely decided to abstain from judgment for once. Instead, he appointed Paris, the young prince of Troy, to be the judge. Paris was tending his flocks on Mount Ida, And the three goddesses approached him. However, he was unable to make a choice even after seeing each one of them naked. So unsurprisingly, he had sex with all of them and still couldn't decide. That's not true. I just made that up. He was... he was little. And he was also... uh, it was unbeknownst to him that he was a prince of Troy. He was abandoned for whatever reason and uh, raised by a humble rancher. So unsurprisingly, it was time for some bribing. So Hera gave her word that Paris... In gratitude for choosing her would be granted political power and the throne of the continent of Asia. And then Athena offered him wisdom and excellent skills in battle. And finally, Aphrodite, the god of tits and fucking, promised Paris the most beautiful woman in the world, and that was uh, Helena Sparta. There could only be one outcome, and without batting an eyelash, eyelash, Paris awarded the apple to old sparkle tits This is actually one of my favorite parts of this story is this bullshit between the three goddesses and Paris because Paris is a cunt. Like, he's a fucking asshole, and it can be clearly seen through every decision that that bitch makes uh, because he does not make good decisions. He's not likable. He's a prick. He shot Achilles hiding in the curtains with a poisoned arrow at a distance because he was a cunt. I just think he's a coward, and he was a spoiled little jerk. I'm kind of rambling here. I just don't want to not tell the, the Paris story that I really like. So he was abandoned by his family for whatever reason. I'll get into that too, but he was raised by a farmer in the woods and um, on Mount Ida somewhere. He um, ended up getting married after his father died to this woman who was supposedly half a goddess, but I, I think that's just Greek talk for she was real fucking hot and maybe didn't have as much back hair as the other Greek women that were around at the time. Um, it's all right. I'm Greek. I can say that. And uh, he married her, and she was madly in love with him. Did everything for him. Lived her life for him, essentially. And um, he gets asked to judge this contest in the woods. And make very long story short, he was promised the most beautiful woman falling in love with him by Aphrodite. And he was uh, notorious for thinking with his wiener. So he picked that as his choice gift. He didn't want wisdom. He didn't want oh, Hera's promising prowess on the battlefield. Didn't want to be strong in battle. He wanted to fuck somebody that was gorgeous. And she said that she would almost forfeit her own free will to be attracted to him. So he gives the gift of the apple to Aphrodite and passes out seemingly drunk in a field and wakes back home. Wakes up, goes back home. His wife cooked him dinner. Uh, Her name currently escapes me, but it does come back into play later because she was great as like a... I don't want to call her a witch, but someone that makes holistic doctor. Um, went back home, told her about the weird dream that he had, and she asked what the goddesses had offered him, because supposedly she was you know, divine or whatever. And he said, you know, wisdom prowess on the battlefield, and so on and so forth. Hera may have actually offered him money, I don't remember, it was something that he didn't take and should have. And Aphrodite offered him the most beautiful woman in the world. And so he told her that he chose the most beautiful woman in the world, to which she started crying, tears of like gratitude, thinking that he meant um, that like <laughs> she thought that he made that wish that she would stick around forever and got very flattered, said, you don't have you didn't have to wish for that. You wasted your other two wishes. Um, I'm always going to stick around for you. I'm always going to be there for you anyway. And uh, he kind of gave her this dopey ass look, which was his custom. He was a stupid sack of shit. Stared at her like she was a fucking asshole. And then she realized that he wasn't talking about her. He was talking about a new woman, because Aphrodite had explained that to him, that you want it to be your wife, so be it. But if you want somebody fresh and young, whatever. Um, well, she, he was, keep in mind, he was also a Turk, so fresh and young is probably like an eight-year-old. As foul as that is. Ah, I'm sorry, that's racist. I promised I wouldn't do that. There I go, going back in my promises already. She promised him somebody other than his wife, and that's what he took, and he knew it, and it was very explicitly stated, um, and his wife saw it written all over his face, and she asked him if that's what he meant, and he uh, kind of you know kicked the dirt and, and ignored her, and then she knew it was. So she pitched a very polite fit, packed up her shit, left him, and as she was going out the door, she said, the day will come when you need something from me. And on that day, she didn't say I'll fuck you up the ass, but on that day, I'll give you no stick to bite on. Also, not what she said. That's a that's a gross exaggeration. She said that she would not come to his aid, regardless of what it was, even if his life hung in the balance. And disappeared off the mountain. Terrible. I hate that shit. But it will come into effect later in such a very poetic way. It's fucking almost good. But fuck Paris hate that guy so not long after that paris was discovered as the missing prince of troy because of a birthmark because of his tiny penis one of the two and he was taken into the walls of the city and uh made the governor over his princely duties that they trust him with which was like uh, talking to the sheep or whatever he wasn't really trusted or liked particularly because no one knew him and No, they were skeptical of what they didn't know and rightfully so because paris turned out to be a fucking prick so aphrodite was not the only one that knew that helen was relatively good-looking she was also the stepdaughter of king Tyndarios tyanderos of sparta and at the time she was considered the most beautiful woman in the world and not really by a long shot in fact tyanderos's court was filled with numerous noble suitors uh not by a long shot was uh, Aphrodite the only one that knew? There were a million noble suitors there ever since her availability for marriage had been announced months before the judgment of Paris. However, much like Zeus in the case of the apple of discord, the king was unwilling to create himself political enemies, so he stalled the decision of choosing the groom. The wisest and least enthusiastic of the suitors, Odysseus of Ithaca, (laughs) love this guy, offered the king an escape plan, asking in return for the hand of Penelope, Tyndiaros' niece. The king, happy to pawn off the ugly niece on somebody, agreed, and Odysseus advised him to make all of Helen's suitors swear an oath they would protect the couple regardless of the final decision. After the oath had been taken, Tyndaros picked Menelaus to be his daughter's husband, effectively making him the successor of the Spartan throne through Helen and effectively making everyone there sworn to them. Odysseus was brilliant. He covered his bases from the beginning. I love this guy. I learned a lot about being a piece of shit from reading this as a kid. Unfortunately for Menelaus, sometime after his marriage with Helen had been uh, officialized, his uncle, Catrius, the king of Crete, which is where my family's from, was accidentally killed by one of his kids. Uh, While Menelaus was away there at his funeral, Aphrodite used the opportunity to disguise Paris as a diplomatic emissary and successfully smuggle him inside the palace of the Spartan royal family. Owing to the goddess's influence and one of Eros's unmistakable arrows, Helen welcomed Paris far too warmly, and uh, mainly with her vagina, and after a night of passion and promises, she eloped with him to Troy, which means uh, he human-trafficked her, which she would try to essentially tried to say after the war was over that he was, she was kidnapped and acting against her will the whole time. So Menelaus returned home and before too long realized that his bitch had run off and done left him and left for a much smaller, sissier man. He wasted no time. Incited by his much more powerful brother, Agamemnon, he invoked the oath of Tindaros, a fucking Helen's dad, and called upon the help of all Achaean leaders who had previously sought with him the hand of Helen. And sworn to their oath, all of them came, each the head of a huge army, all fierce warlords. Ajax of Salami, son of Telamon. Ajax of Locri, son of Oelus. And Idomeneus of Crete, son of Deucalion, Diomedes, remember that name. Diomedes of Argos, son of Tidios. And Elfenor of Euboea son of Chalkadon. Uh Phil of Melboa, son of Pope, Pradesilaus, I'm sorry about these names, dude, they're fucking tough, son of Iphicles, and many, 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 many more. In fact, as many as 45 great warlords and warriors showed up to honor that fucking oath they swore. There was no sign of Odysseus, however, if you remember the wily old Greek that had been given uh, the niece as fucking... Consolation prize for his wisdom. Odysseus had a bit of a reputation, which I can sympathize with. And for good reason. But nobody had heard from him. So at this time, Odysseus was happily married and a father of a one-year-old boy named Telemachus. And he had learned from the seer of Halotherus that if he took part in the Trojan expedition, it would take him way too long to come home. And a seer is like a prognosticator, or like a bullshit artist. Snake oil salesman, psychic, one of the same. So when the envoy in charge for his recruitment arrived at his palace in Ithaca, he pretended to be fucking insane. And he had been pretended to be, he, pretending to be insane up until this point for probably weeks. Uh, but he harnessed a donkey and an ox to a plow and started sowing salt instead of grain into his own fields. However, Polymedes saw through the ruse and put Telemachus in front of the plow. It's fucked up. Odysseus had no option but to change course and thus he revealed... Both his plan and unfortunately for him, his sanity. Accepting his fate and knowing from the seer caucus that his presence was a prerequisite for Greek victory, Odysseus almost immediately set on a mission to find and enlist the man fated to become the greatest of all Greek heroes under the Trojan campaign. And that man's name, when they say man, use that, that word sparingly because Achilles was 14, I believe. Achilles. Achilles was none other than the child of Zeus and Poseidon had they actually wanted to have a kid. He was the one they never wanted to have. The only surviving son of Peleus, the great inventor of the glory hole, and Thetis, the sparkling tits of the ocean. And even before his birth, his mother, Thetis, knew that Achilles was destined to either lead an uneventful but long life or a glorious one that would end with him dying far too young on a battlefield. Fearing for her son's future well-being, Thetis decided to grant him immortality. So while he was still an infant, she took him to the river Styx, and it's one of the many rivers that runs through the underworld, and dipped him in the water, thus making him invulnerable. However, Thetis did not realize that the heel of the boy by which she'd held him did not touch the waters of the Styx, and this would later turn out to be the cause for Achilles shot in the ankle by Paris the Pussy's downfall. And it is the origin of the modern day phrase yet another one your achilles heel signifying a vulnerable spot despite overall strength anyways after she had completed the ritual so as to be even safer thetis disguised achilles as a little girl and hid him amongst the maidens at the court of her good friend king lichidomis of skyros she put him in a dress yo so soon after joining the Trojan expedition, Odysseus learned of Achilles' whereabouts, and he teamed up with Telamonian Ajax and Phoenix, old tutors of Achilles, and the three went to Skyros to recruit the hero. There, they uh, either blew a war horn, a war horn, on the sound of which Achilles was the only woman that took a spear in hand, or they appeared as merchants selling jewels and weapons, and Achilles was the only woman interested in the weapons. Either way, now the force was complete and ready to attract, attack Troy. Also, kind of an interesting thing about Achilles' stint on Skyros. Supposedly, he knocked up all of these uh, daughters of the king. Because Achilles had kids, and it was from this stay on Skyros. But I believe he got all three of them pregnant. Uh, Okay, so, this is an early sign of this mission not being a success. If you're ever about to take a road trip, and you find yourself in a situation like I'm about to describe, don't go. So, the leaders first gathered in the port of Aeulis, and a sacrifice was made to Apollo. Because they had been only able to sit in their ships and wait for the wind to pick up, which, of course, it hadn't. So they're sitting out there, waiting to take off, and I think they waited a week. There was nothing. Uh, So a sacrifice was made to Apollo, and the gods sent an omen, and it was the snake from the altar, and it slithered to a bird's nest, where it ate the mother and nine of her babies before it was turned to stone. The seer Calchas yet again interpreted the meaning of the event for everyone, that Troy would fall, but not before the 10th year of the war. So how she got that, I don't know. So by mistake, they landed too far to the south in the land of Mycia, ruled by King Telethus when they finally got their ships going. There was a huge battle that ensued and it took the life of many great Greek warriors unnecessarily, and all the while highlighting Achilles' superhuman fighting strength. In addition to killing numerous Mycenaeans, Achilles, who was barely 15, managed to also wound the king And successfully distracted everybody enough that they were able to flee from the island they landed on inappropriately. And not before getting the proper route to the city of Troy from the wounded king. So, they now had a bigger problem, though. Because even though they finally knew how to get to Troy, they were unable to set sail. Because for the most, most of the time, there was no wind of any kind, let alone a favorable one. Whenever they did get wind, it would be the wrong direction. So they asked the seer. And they realized that they must, they must be some kind of a retribution from the goddess Artemis, who was furious at Agamemnon for going hunting and killing a sacred deer. Artemis demanded appeasement and uh, was unspeakably cruel. And she demanded the sacrifice of Agamemnon's virgin daughter, Iphigenia. 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 Just call her genie. After some deliberation, Odysseus uh, lured Genie to the island that they were encamped on because they were just waiting there for a while because the ships wouldn't sail at all because they only had sails and the sails weren't picking up wind in the right direction. So on the, he lured her there on the pretext of marriage to the great war hero already, Achilles. And after finding out that his name, he was, man, this story's so fucked up. Achilles heard about it before she got there. No, Achilles hadn't heard about it until she got there, and she ran up to him, like, and and may have spilled the beans a little bit. So he was more mad that his name was used without his consent, really, because a name was what Echoed in Stern did. Uh, but after finding out that he'd been used in such a just heinous ruse, Achilles tried to save her life, kind of, only to learn that all the other Greek commanders and soldiers are in support of the sacrifice, so bereaved of options, she genie officially accepted her fate and placed herself on the altar some say that unfortunately that was the end of her others however claim that just as the seer was about to sacrifice her artemis submitted genie for a deer and took her to taurus where she became the goddess's high priestess so realistically what happened is she wouldn't come to the island because she thought something sketchy was going on and it was she was advised by um agamemnon's advisors that It might be a trap, kind of like how Japanese submarines used to lure out American ships by placing fake distress calls and then sinking the ship. Uh, But she was promised by Odysseus Achilles-handed marriage. And so when she finally arrived at the island, she asked where Achilles was, and everyone pointed her in the direction of his tent because it was nighttime. And she, according to the studies that I did, it seemed like she just really wanted to get some, so she was sneaking around and jumped into his bed in the middle of the night and then was said that she didn't want to wait and she's so excited he's gonna be her husband and uh, next day essentially after he explained to her that she wasn't going to be his wife he slept with her and then they fell asleep and then he woke her up the next day and presented her to her dad for slaughter and then either way as horrible as that is the winds picked up almost immediately after the sacrifice and the fleet was finally able to sail in the general direction of troy Uh, While on the way there, they stormed the island of Tenedos, and unaware of his identity, Achilles killed the island's king, who happened to be the son of the god Apollo. It was a fateful decision, and since Thetis had warned him not to kill any sons of Apollos, lest he wants to be killed by the god himself, uh, just as forewarned, many years later, Apollo got his revenge. And take that with a shot of penicillin, Apollo this, Apollo that, Zeus's fucking swan rape, whatever. I don't know about all that shit, but... Achilles was a hell of a fighter. So, from that island, the Greeks sent, like a diplomatic mission to Troy, probably consisting solely of Menelaus and Odysseus, although some say uh, entailing uh, Diomedes and Akamas as well, and they were war heroes as well. Uh, And their mission was to recover Helen by peaceful means, while the fleet and entire invading force hung back. The Trojans not only refused this, but they also threatened to kill the envoy and only the intervention of the Trojan elder Antenor saved the lives of Menelaus and Odysseus. But the message was loud and clear. If they wanted Helen back, the Greeks would have to come and get them through the use of their arms and their biceps. So, Odysseus, in the historical, like, recant that I read, Odysseus was given a tour of Troy at some point, so he remembered where everything was. So, that's important to remember during the sacking of Troy, because, well, you'll see. And, uh... It's it it should be mentioned again that the Greeks in their ships had wandered for years and the Greeks fleet finally sailed on course the short route from Tenedos and finally arrived at the desired destination and that is the, the Troy however everybody was now reluctant to land as an oracle had once prophesied that the first Greek to step on Trojan soil would be the first one to die in the war So they were all hanging back and some says that some say that Protosilaus, took the initiative willing and sacrificed himself for the sake of Greece and the better good. But others claim that he was tricked by Odysseus, who announced that he would disembark first, but circumvented the prophecy by stepping on his shield once ashore. It's not his fault he's smarter than all of you. Either way, it was Protosilphelius who was the misfortune of being the first victim of the Trojan War, dying during a face-to-face duel with Troy's, potentially the world's most celebrated swordsman and hero, its beloved Prince Hector. And on that note, I'm going to pick this up very soon. But as of right now, I need to start getting ready for work. So I'm going to have to leave it there. But this will be a two or three-parter because I thoroughly enjoyed. If you guys like it, please let me know and I will do more like this. If you don't like it, please tell me and I'll do less like this. So, seeing as I'm completely grown up now, I have made a business email, a website, and a Patreon account. And I would encourage all of you to uh, contact me there. And please continue to rate and review on the iTunes store. I really appreciate reading and uh, stroking my ego as a result of those. So thank you very much. And also to everyone that's emailed me or reached out on Instagram. You guys are all great. Thank you very much for all your support and your love. Appreciate it. And if you guys want to get in touch with me, those of you that don't know how, you can find me at Anthology of Horror. Oops, I'm sorry. Jack at anthologyofhorror.com or you could go to anthologyofhorror.com oh man and I would really like to hear how I can improve because this show is not going to get any better if I don't have constructive criticism from people other than people I'm related to and you guys have been pretty good about it pretty good about suggesting stories so I greatly appreciate all of your advice and if you feel so inclined there is a Patreon account link on anthologyofhorror.com And if you feel compelled to donate a couple of bucks or sign the monthly thing, uh, I will take first refusal from uh, everyone that's donating, obviously. I'll take you... Based on the tier breakdown, you get to essentially dictate what episodes I do if they're within the the genre of what I do. I mean, like, you you could donate 50 bucks a month and I'm probably not going to read 50 Shades of Grey to you on here, but within reason. I would be more than happy, and quite flattered, really, to uh, do an episode for you specifically on something you want to hear. But I'm not a mind reader, so you gotta tell me. And you can do that through Patreon by making a donation, and then all the pack's information will probably be vague and misleading, but just email me and I'll explain it to you. And what the different tiers mean. So without any further ado, thank you for your time, thank you all for tuning back in, I appreciate each and every one of you. And I will be back very soon, hopefully a lot more consistently now that I've got um, a little bit more time during the day with uh, more from the Trojan Wars, Trojan campaigns. And if you guys like this, I will maybe do another Bronze Age episode down the road, but the very distant, not the very close road, not not the very distant future. I'm getting tired. I'm sorry. I'm stammering, but that's it. Once again, thank you all hopefully uh i hear from you guys soon that is anthologyofhorror.com that i can be reached on and you can send an email the screen here at jag at anthologyofhorror.com i'm officially dozing off but until next time stay spooky